Let's pray before we start this morning. Father, just thank you for your love for us, Father, for your word. Father, just guide us in our study this morning, and I pray that you'll just use our time together this morning, that we might grow in our knowledge and understanding of you, and I pray this in your most precious name. Amen. I'm going to throw Sue a little curve. I'm going to go, instead of going where, oh, okay. Not doing something I'm supposed to. Of course, I have to be looking back there to be able to see the little sign. How many of you have ever filled out a resume for a job? Or you've, you've hired employees, and so you've looked at resumes to see what the person was like that you're going to hire, right? You just don't hire somebody off the street without knowing something about them. Now, for those of you that have filled out a resume, you want to sound good, don't you? When you do your resume, you want your resume to look so good that they'll want to hire you. I know I, I applied for a job one time, and it was basically a ditch digger's job. And my mother took me out. Now, I'm an adult. I'm married, and we've been married for a long time, and Mom took me out, bought a suit. She says, you need to go to this interview in a suit. And I'm like, Mom, it's a ditch digger's job. And she goes, but you got to look good. My resume looked good. I, it was impressive. I eventually got the job. I had to go through three interviews, but I got the job to be a ditch digger. But can you imagine? Great. You, you look at resumes when you go to hire people, right? What if, what if the first qualification that somebody had that they wanted to come to work for you, was there a sheep herder or a shepherd boy? Top of the list. Number one job qualification is I'm a shepherd boy. How likely would you be to hire a shepherd boy to work in your business? Well, but you don't know. He maybe maybe he's a good printer. Oh, Mark, how about would you hire somebody to drive one of your trucks who their main qualification was they were a shepherd? He's probably hired a few, yeah. The reason he's hired a few is because they knew how to be shepherds and not truck drivers, so it didn't last real long. But in in first first Samuel, this is this this is something that's scribbled up here on the top, and Sue can tell you this wasn't in my uh, notes that I gave her this morning. First Samuel chapter 13, verse 14 says, But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. This person that is a man after God's own heart is a shepherd. His claim to fame is he's a little shepherd boy. Actually, probably not real little anymore. But God used a shepherd to become a king. I found this book. It's a little crumpled up, but somehow it fell out of the box it was packed in. And it says, Real Men Lead. And first of the year, I want to do a men's Bible study. It'll take about eight weeks, maybe nine weeks to do this on real men lead. Because you know what we need today? What did, did you see that picture? 
And I don't want, don't put it up, Sue. I'll have a hard enough time getting through the service just thinking about the picture. You can put it up. Put up Marty's picture. Um, anybody know who this is? Who's my Army guy? Who was, who was Army in here? That's a Marine back there, Navy guy here. Who's the Army guy? We had somebody in the Army. Command Sergeant Major. Highest ranking. Oh, Jim's, Jim's upstairs. Command Sergeant Major is the highest ranking enlisted man in the United States Army. Marty Barreras was the most decorated soldier currently serving in the United States military. By his rank, the medals that he wore, and we looked for his dress uniform yesterday and we couldn't find it because he, he had to walk this way. Literally, because he had so many things. I read the two paragraphs of the awards that he had already won and I didn't even know what most of them were because most of the conflicts he served in were after my time, way after my time. Anybody know who Jessica Lynch is? Y'all ought to know. Okay, Marty's claim to fame was he led the Ranger Battalion that went in and did her rescue. This is a guy that you would want to follow in combat. Wasn't supposed to be in combat because he was an old man. He was 48. And the United States Army said, you can't go into combat because you're too old. And in December of 2013, his unit deployed, and he told his commander, if my guys are going, I'm going too. Real men leave. On May, May 13th, already got his final promotion. We've known, he's 48, we've known the family for 29 years. Uh, Artie was in high school when we first met their family. His brother and I are, are good buddies. Uh, brother's pastor. Somebody you'd want to follow into combat. You know what? We're in combat today. Did you know that? See this, this right here? I brought this one in first, and I thought, nah, this is not, a, this isn't even a great illustration. This is a military saber. Somebody that knows more about them than me would have to tell you when it was, was made. But I'm thinking, this isn't really adequate for going into battle today. And you think, how many of you are, are war buffs or, or old western buffs? And you see them, and I always wondered why the guy leading the charge held his saber up like this when everybody else has got guns. Would that make much sense to you? Doesn't make sense to me. And then I thought, no, we are in spiritual warfare, big time. So we brought in the big sword this morning. And yes, I will put it away when the service is over till the kids don't play with it, because I've cut myself with it. But Paul, in 1 Timothy, We've been studying through 1 Timothy, and 
and we're going to continue to study on it, but we're going to do just a few verses this morning. Last week was Paul's testimony and Paul's prayer. And Paul, Paul likes to use military terms. And in verse 18, he says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy. And that word charge means an urgent command to hand, to hand it down from a superior officer. Paul's saying, son, and we know he's not his biological son, he's his spiritual son because Paul led him to Christ. He's saying, I command you with all urgency according to the prophecies previously made concerning you that by them you may wage the good warfare. Do you think Paul was preparing Timothy for warfare? Yeah. But Paul reminds him that he was chosen for ministry. Apparently some of the prophets in the local assemblies had been led by the Spirit to select Timothy for service. And if you go to Acts chapter 13... This, this was the selection process. You know, David, David was, a, was a shepherd boy, but this is how they selected uh, back then. Acts chapter 13, verse 1 says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work in which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them out. That's how they were chosen. The men prayed and they fasted. And I'm going to challenge you, this week, next week, for the next three or four weeks, I want you to pray about leadership for the church. We've got an annual meeting coming up in December. We need some men who are willing to lead this flock. I need you to pray about who you would recommend to the deacons and myself to become deacons next year to help lead this flock to go forward. You need to put it in writing. We'll look at it. Back then, they prayed and fasted. You know what? It wouldn't hurt us to do that too to pray and fast about who should be in leadership here. It wasn't easy to serve God for Timothy in Ephesus. Ephesus was a pagan culture. If you study the history and the climate that was going on there, there was a lot of stuff going on that made it really tough for him to do what he was supposed to do. But Timothy was under a man, he was under orders to obey. That's what it says here that he says, I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecy previous made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. And in verse 3 of that same chapter, he says, As I urge you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrines. The soldier's task is to, to please him who chose him. 2 Timothy chapter 2.
verse 4 says, No one engages in warfare, entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. If you were ever in the military, it was really hard to play hat. You, you always pleased your sergeant, right? What? At least he's honest about it. I tell you, most of us didn't. It was hard because we were told sometimes to do things we didn't agree with, right? Paul is telling Timothy that he was chosen to do this job and that he should do it not to please Paul, but to do what God had called him to do and commanded him to do. God had chosen him and sent him. It was a fact. It was a difficult time. Do you think we're facing difficult times today? Unless you're sleeping in a cloud somewhere and you look around, you've got to see there's difficult things coming, difficult things that are happening. Um, if you're called, then you need to obey. You need to stay with and finish the work. These assurances enable Timothy to war the good warfare because he knew he was called, he'd been appointed to this position, and Paul had encouraged him to stay with it to the end. Now, Paul's going to switch from an army term to a na looking kind of at the Navy end of it uh, in verse 19 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. It says, Having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning their faith, have suffered shipwreck. He warned Timothy that the only way to succeed was to hold fast to the faith and a good conscience. It's not enough to proclaim, I'm a Christian with our lips. We've got to practice it in our daily life. Um, one man said, and I'm not going to tell you who it is, but he said of his hypocritical pastor, he is such a good preacher, he should never get out of the pulpit. But he's such a poor Christian, he should never get in the pulpit. We talked about this weeks ago. What we do here on Sunday or what we say on Sunday, we need to live out the rest of the week out here. People need to see. You know, churches have a reputation. And how do they get a reputation? By the people that are in them. And how the people out there, and you know, in a community like this, people see us. They see uh, every one of us. They, it's amazing how much they know about you. About all of you, it's, it's a small town, and everybody knows what's going on here. A good conscience is more important to a good warfare and a good ministry. There was a magazine editor, H.H.L. Meachin, defined conscience as the inner voice which warns us that somebody may be looking. You know, people see us. They see who we are. But a man with a good conscience will do the will of God in spite of who's watching or what people say. Martin Luther said, Here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. Where do we draw our help from, our strength from? We draw it from God. We can't get through. We can't get up out of bed without God's help. We can't make it through the day. We can't make it through a week. 
unless God is on our side. Ask people out there how they get through difficult times. They turn to things other than God to get through. Some had professed to be believers but were shipwrecked because of their faith. And they were sinning against their conscience. Bad doctrine usually starts with bad conduct and usually with secret sin. Verse 20 of chapter 1 said, Of whom Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. They deliberately, those two men deliberately rejected the good conscience in order to defend their ungodly lives. And Paul didn't tell us exactly what they did, except it involved blasphemy. Um, go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, well, 16 through 18, says that shun profane and idle babbling, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. The resurrection's already happened. That's what they were teaching, is that it already happened. So they're not teaching the truth, and they've strayed from the truth. We don't know about Alexander. Alexander was a popular name in that day, so we're not sure exactly what Paul's saying here, but in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, it said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You must also, you also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. And we're, we're believing that this same Alexander is the one that he mentions in 1 Timothy. Because um, Paul and Timothy would have known both of them. And he did, much, did me much harm. We're not sure, again, what all he did, but he did Paul harm. And he's warning Timothy to watch out for him. Um, probably false, well, blasphemy, so he's teaching false. And he says he delivered him unto Satan, uh, at last line, who I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Um, and that implies apostolic discipline. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 says, It is actually reported there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourn that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. For I indeed, as absent in the body but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has so done this deed. 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with the Spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such as one to Satan for destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. This, this, this association, they've, they've been excommunicated from the local church. And that word uh, in 1 Timothy 1.20, uh, that word learn is learned by discipline. Uh, it's literally the meaning is that they learn by discipline. Um, I can tell you I was disciplined as a child a lot. And probably because I was hard-headed, it took a lot of discipline for those lessons to sink in. Um, hopefully, in, in our adult life, it doesn't take nearly as much disciplining. But that's what that means, is that, that they may learn or by discipline not to blaspheme. Um, when a Christian refuses to repent, the local fellowship should exercise discipline. Um, the fellowship of the local church in, in obedience to the will of God gives a believer spiritual protection. Go to Luke chapter 22. Verse 31. This is the Lord talking, and it says in verse 31 of Luke 22, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But if you have prayed, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Satan wants, Satan attacks us. That's why we need to be grounded in the word. That's why we need to have the sword to defend ourselves because Satan is working overtime. This was a tough week. Mike had a tough week. I had a tough week. Why? Because we want to see Galilean Baptist Church be a lighthouse in this community. We want to see the gospel of Jesus Christ go out with power and authority. What better way to slow it down? Attack the leadership. I pray for Mike that he can stay strong. Strong leadership is needed in the church. We are in a battle. Much that, like Paul's encouraging Timothy to stay true to the Word of God, we need to stay true to that too because we are in battle every day. We need to make sure that we've got our armor on straight every day and we are ready to face the things that Satan's going to throw at. You know, there's false prophets, there's false teachers out there all over. They've deviated from the truth of Scripture. Satan is the originator of all of this. Look at John 8, 44. Again, this is Jesus talking. He says, you are the Father 
You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Satan is the originator of lies. He wants you to believe the lies. Why do we sin? You ever thought about that? Why do we sin? Does sin look ugly? Huh? It looks good, doesn't it? Yeah, Mary's got it. It looks good. Because if it looked the way it, it really is, we wouldn't do it, would we? If we could see sin for what it really is from the deceiver, we wouldn't want to sin. We shouldn't want to anyway if we're walking where we should be with the Lord. But sin looks good. Why did Eve eat, take that fruit? Because it looked good. Why did Adam take a bite? I got, you know, this is just me, okay? This isn't, I can't prove this. But she took that fruit, took a bite, and went, hmm, this is good. Says, you want some? And Adam took a bite. Why? Because it looked good. Satan's a deceiver. He wants us to do stuff, and he makes it look so good. We need to teach sound doctrine in the church and proclaim the gospel that Christ died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. If we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be saved. We need to expose deceivers. Those that are teaching false. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with hot iron. And I've got that in latter times underlined in my Bible. The closer it gets to the Lord's return, the more lies are going to be spoken, the more deception and the changing of the truth of the gospel. There are churches out there today, there are assemblies of people gathering together that are hearing lies. There are people that tell lies about us, about Baptists. They say that we teach one thing that we don't teach because they don't want people to see us as true believers. It's important that our ministry be balanced. Some preachers, some preachers only preach the gospel. The church that Sharon and I were married in, we used to say on Sunday night, we sang 27 verses of Just As I Am because the preacher wasn't going to quit the invitation until he had enough people come forward. There aren't 27 verses of Just As I Am, but it sure seemed like it back then. When you're in high school, it seemed like they'd never quit. We, we had, and you know, we figured it out. There was one gal, she got saved about once a month. She would be the, one of the last ones to come up because he wasn't going to close that service till he had enough people come forward. But others, they, they teach only doctrine. And we have to have a balance between doctrine and gospel. Because people need to get saved 
but once they get saved, then they need to be taught the truth from the Word of God. So we have to have a balance. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10 says, Fornicators, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for per perjurers, and if there is anything that is contrary to sound doctrine or opposes sound doctrine, we've got to stay true to the Word of God. Our doctrine that we teach has to be sound. I'm going through the Constitution and bylaws and stuff of the church to make sure that what we're teaching that we believe, or what we say we believe is what we're teaching that we believe. Because sometimes you have a, writ a written thing that you hand somebody, but that's not what we teach. And I think it's real important that we do that. We must preach the gospel. I like Mike. How many, I want to ask you, how many of you passed out three tracks this week? don't have to raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But Mike wants you to pass tracks out. I do too. Because people get saved by reading tracks. Did you know that? Otherwise, tracks wouldn't be used all over the world to share the gospel. A little piece of paper that you can hand somebody that has the truth of the Word of God. How to be saved in it. We need to be doing that. We must defend the faith against those who would corrupt the church with false doctrine and godless living. There are people that want to change what the Word of God says. It's a constant battle, but it's got to be carried on. We've got to share the gospel so people will get saved, and we have to stay true to the Word of God. Because if no one ever gets saved in the church, how's the church going to grow? And how are we going to get... How The Lord's going to come back someday, and we need to get people saved to get there. Timothy must have been greatly helped and encouraged when he read, reads this letter from, from Paul. Um, God had called Timothy, equipped him, put him in the place of ministry. Timothy's job wasn't to run all over the place. And I know sometimes as a pastor, I want to be involved in, in children's ministry and in camp ministry and going out and doing this and being involved in this. And sometimes... It takes too much time to do all of those things. And it takes away from doing what we're supposed to do here. So I have to be real careful. My wife's trying to help me keep that in balance, that I don't do too much outside of the church. Um, my last pastor, we, I was a senior pastor at one church and the youth pastor at another church. And guess what? Couldn't do them both well. We tried, but we couldn't do them both well. So I know from my experience... I've got to be careful not to get involved in too many outside things, and outside activities to help focus on proclaiming the gospel here and helping the church to grow here. Um, and that's one of the problems with local churches. The last church that we went to in a rescue mode, they asked that I didn't get involved in a lot of stuff. They said that's what killed the church was the pastor was never there because he was always out doing other things. Um, and I think, and we talked several weeks ago about starting Awana, starting Kids Club or something, and I said, let's do it right. We need to have leadership in place. Let's do it right because we can't do it if it's not doing well. And I think sometimes we have to take a spiritual inventory of the church. Where are we spiritually? You know, where are you gifted? You know, somebody's gifted to work with babies, you know, in the nursery. Somebody is gifted, you know, as we grow, we're going to need more Sunday school teachers. 
right? Right? We're going to need more Sunday school teachers. See, I'm waiting to see who's nodding their head because I know who my Sunday school teachers are then. Y'all are not easy to trick, are you? But we have to be doing God's business here. Paul's telling Timothy that he needs to stay true. Go back to verse 18. This command I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Showed you Marty's picture. Marty was a good soldier. He did his job well. How are we doing with our job as believers? Are we, are we in that fight? Are we doing what God's called us to do? And I'm pointing to me too. You know, I've got a responsibility as a pastor. You have a responsibility as a believer to help further the kingdom by sharing, sharing Christ's love. Teaching the children. I hear kids out there. That's great. Love to hear that noise. When we look back over this first chapter, there was so much in it. Paul tells us in verse 3 that they teach no other doctrine. We talked about that. Not giving heed to fables and endless genealogies. But why are we doing this? And the purpose of this command is love from a pure heart and a good conscience, verse 5, and from sincere faith. And then in verse 11 it says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ, Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. an awesome responsibility to be placed in the ministry. But you know what? Being in the family of God, we have an awesome responsibility too to share with those that need to know who Christ, know Christ as their Savior. We talked last week, and I, I, I love this party. There's nobody that can be too bad to be saved. Our little discussion in Sunday school of predestination, free will, and election this morning was quite interesting. God knows. We have an obligation to tell people about what Christ did on the cross. Verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul says, of whom I am chief. The faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance. Everybody needs to know that. Everybody needs to accept that, that Christ came into this world to save sinners. And all of us are there. I've never known anybody that wasn't a sinner. I've heard people say, I've never sinned, or I've never done anything bad, but we know that's not true. Because we all, for all of sin, fall short of the glory of God. Let's pray as the praise team comes up. I'd 
challenge you this morning to see where God can use you in the ministry here at Galilean. If you're sitting here today and you don't know for sure where you would spend eternity, if today would be the day the Lord comes back and you don't know for sure where you're going to spend eternity, I'd love to talk with you about that. If you're considering baptism, you've never been, you've accepted Christ as your Savior and you've never been baptized and would like to be baptized, again, I'd love to talk to you about that. If you'd like to join the church, uh, I'd like to talk to you about that. Other things on your heart that you need to talk about, uh, I'm here. Uh, love to spend some time talking with you, sharing with you from God's Word, truth from Scripture. Father, we just thank you for for your word. We thank you for this text this morning that we've looked at, that we're each one supposed to be engaged in this battle, and we are. If we're following you and serving you, that Satan does not want your word to go out here. He does not want us to follow faithfully after you, would love us to be deserters. But I pray that, Father, today you might put someone in our path, this week someone in our path, that we will have the boldness to share with them. And then, Father, I pray this morning if there be one in our midst that does not sure, is not sure of where they'll spend eternity. Father, we see the things that are happening in the world, and we see that they point to your return. And we pray, uh, come quickly, Lord Jesus for your quick return, Father, that there be someone here today that is not sure about their eternal security, that today might be the day of salvation for them. And Father, uh, again, for the time of fellowship upstairs, we just pray that it'll be a time of sweet fellowship uh, up there, and uh, just pray this in your most precious name.